Good morning, Village Church. My name's David. I'm one of the pastors here. We got gloomy weather. We got a gloomy passage, and uh, we're going to get to work on it, yeah? So we are, uh, we've been a few weeks into this book of Ecclesiastes, and the big theme is that everything under the sun is meaningless. It's a very positive, upbeat sermon series, and the idea that we find is that there's Everything under the sun might be meaningless, but there's more beyond the sun. There's a God who's over all things, and in him all things find their meaning, that this world is not the ultimate end. And so today we examine the meaninglessness of time. And we begin chapter 3 with these first eight verses that form like a really, really cool section of poetry here, and it's a very well-known section of scripture. It's quoted by both Christians and non-Christians alike. These are like these 14 lines of poetic couplets. The word time is used 28 times. It begins with birth and death, and it ends with war and peace, and it covers just about everything else in between. And I think in, in some strange way, although most people on earth do not believe in Christ, most people really understand the theme of this particular poem here in verses 1 through 8 because in our culture today, you could hear this read at a wedding, you could hear this read at a funeral, you could hear this read at a graduation ceremony. Our culture has embraced the words of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. And maybe it's a way for our culture to just say, don't, don't get so high, don't get so low. Your seasons of joy will not last. Your seasons of sorrow will not last. You can kind of just settle into a quiet acceptance of life. And so we have 28 specific mentions of the word time and seasons of life here. And most of them don't take a lot of explaining, so we're not going to drown ourselves in summarizing words that you already know. But we're going to get through verses 1 through 8 here. We're going to explain a few of them and then we're going to see in general that these eight verses are just collectively teaching us that life is full of seasons and, and no season lasts forever. But God has something for us in it. And so let's read it together. Look at verse one. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. So we see birth and death already, the biggest things in life, the ultimate moments of life. We see planting and harvesting, the rhythms of life, in particularly in a farming culture, sustaining their physical lives. We see killing and healing be a huge part of these cultures at a time when nations would go to war and then relationships would be restored over generations. and Also a nation living under the sacrificial system where death was a part of everyday life. We keep going, we see a few more things. Verse four, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. So many things in here that you say, I, I, all of this has been part of my life in the last year, maybe in the last week, weeping and laughing. Many of you in this room have done both of those things just in the last few days. 
mourning and dancing. Some of you are like, I only mourn when I have to dance. I don't really see the distinction on that one. That's fine. That's fair. You can skip that one. Those two things just go together for you. Cast away stones and gather stones. This is likely a statement about relationships being broken and restored. A lot of commentators believe this has to do with you, nations pillaging another nation and you would throw stones on their fields to destroy the farmlands. And when it was time to, to restore and rebuild the area, you would gather up the stones. Embracing and refraining from embracing be about love and intimacy or more general relationship. Keep going, verse six. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. So after verse one speaks of life and death, then the poem ends with war and peace and between all of that, we see just about everything in life, tearing, sowing, silence and speaking, love and hatred. And so here we have this incredible poem that is used all throughout the world for all sorts of occasions. And feel free to read it at my funeral. But it's meant to give us a big picture of time and seasons. And for God's people today, maybe the first thing that we should recognize clearly is this, that the shifting seasons of life should turn our gaze beyond this world. The reason is because even in our best days, we know that hard days are coming. Maybe you felt like that. I think I've said that at recent times. Like, it feels like a lot of things are going well. That, just saying that feels not well, you know? <laughs> feels like we're on the verge of something. Even the most joyful moments can always be mixed with sadness. And nothing in life ever seems to last. I was thinking about maybe a moment that, that juxtaposes all of this maybe better than anything. Something that sadly happens a lot in countries all around the world, and particularly in this country, is you think about a wife who loses her husband fighting in a war while she was pregnant with their first child. And everyone gathers at the funeral to watch her bury her husband in the ground and they can see that the baby is growing in her womb. And then a few months later, the excruciating physical pain of childbirth and the emotional pain of going through all of that without the father and then a moment goes by and pretty soon you're, <laughs> you're still holding a beautiful baby and in spite of everything, there's joy in that moment and you look at the baby and, and you still smile at the baby. It's a beautiful thing. And so everything just swirls together and it's messy and life is messy. It can be a roller coaster, physically and emotionally and relationally. Again, verse four, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. Many of you in this room gave birth to a child in the last year and you held that child in your arms and you cried tears of joy. Many of you in this room lost a child in the last year and your living room was filled with tears of sorrow. All of us have gained in the last year. All of us have lost in the last year and all of us continue turning new pages 
day after day. And so the shifting seasons of life should turn our gaze beyond this world. How could it all be so messy and so temporary and so unpredictable and really so out of our control? These are the questions of humanity and these are the right questions. Our hearts should be asking these questions. They, they draw us beyond this world, right? The second thing I think we see in general in verses one through eight is this, that even in our participation, we are ultimately powerless. From the very beginning, we saw God made us stewards of this world. We participate in cultivating the work that is set before us. In this culture, it would have been farmlands and crops and harvests. In our culture, it could be all sorts of things. Research, engineering, teaching, business, raising children, making meals. We, we participate in relationships and friendships and marriage and parenting. We participate even in bringing new children into this world. Any kids in here, if you don't know what I mean by that, you just ask your parents on the way home in the car. We could even participate in prolonging life by not being reckless, it seems, right? That we, we could do the best we can to make wise choices, it seems, with safety and with health, like knowing which berries are safe to eat and which are not. We had to learn these things at one point. Like at some point in history, some guy was trembling about to eat a strawberry for the first time, not knowing, you know? And he did it for us. We can seemingly prolong life through caution, wearing a helmet when you're rollerblading. It's a good idea. And yet all of these things, although God has given us a beautiful freedom to participate and cultivate, the ultimate end of these things is beyond our control. Verse two, there's a time to be born and a time to die, time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted. How these things happen is ultimately beyond our control, and the fruits of our labor are ultimately beyond our control. The farmer devotes his life to his crops, but he's hopelessly dependent on the sun and the rain, and hopelessly in danger from storms. You could pour yourself into building a business or establishing your career or even building up a great ministry and it might all fall to pieces. And a father might pour himself out to raise children and feed them and care for them, teach them the gospel, and yet he's left hopelessly unable to control how they will live ultimately in this world and the idols that they will pursue and the destruction that they might make with their lives. Even in our participation, we are ultimately powerless. And so we participate, but we're submitted to outcomes beyond our control. And you say, David, that's maybe true for you, but I'm a strategy person, I'm type A. I use a lot of spreadsheets. <laughs> I'm prepared for scenarios. And there are things that we can't anticipate. <laughs> and there are many people who are far more prepared 
for many different things that could come in the future. And there are many people who have far more plan B's and plan C's than you do in your life. But the reality is that the things that bring you to tears in the next year, they might not even be on your radar today. And the relationships that might be fractured in your life in the next season, they might not be the ones that you saw coming at all. And they might be the ones that you've been investing in the most. Even in our participation, we're ultimately powerless. And so we have section of, sections of this poem that cover the temporary nature of emotions like joy and sorrow, sections that cover the temporary nature of relationships to everything around us. And we have sections that cover the temporary nature of life itself, death and destruction. Ultimately, one commentator, I liked how he summarized it. He just said, nothing in this world is ours forever. Again, verse one, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And so what do we do with this, right? I think one thing we see really clearly is that there's a lot of people who take this in this world and on this earth and they use the realities of this and, and they can build entire like career platforms and content out of this. Motivational speakers and authors, they can say, look, time is passing. You need to step up. You only have a few years. You need to achieve more. You need to crush your goals. You need to achieve your financial goals and your fitness goals. You need to be a better man, be a better woman, a better husband or wife or parent. What are you gonna do to be a better dad? Are you gonna buy a tent? Are you gonna take your kids camping? All the weight of life being short. You gotta get a puppy, you gotta go to Europe, you gotta buy a car that you can't afford. That's the trifecta, right? And the marketing is genius because it takes the heavy reality of time and seasons that we all feel and then it flips it into a business model that, <laughs> but God's word has something better for us. We can take the heavy reality of time that we all feel and we can turn our eyes to the kingdom of God. I was thinking about this this week, I wrote this down for us. Everyone is asking, how can I reach the finish line knowing that I gave it everything? What we really should be asking is, what will matter at the finish line? Does that make sense? There's a lot of people asking these questions and putting the weight on us of time and seasons and things that are passing. But what we need from each other as God's people is to continually point each other to what will actually matter in the end. Because you could go ask any dad on this earth and he would say, I wish I took my kids camping one more time. I wish I spent more time with them. Or you could ask anyone who lost a parent and they would say, I wish I sat in their living room and talked with them a bit more. I wish I could have more time. And this is a great reality under the sun. 
that as time goes by, we're always gaining, but we're always losing. And so if we sit long enough, we could fill ourselves with regret for all of the ways we could have lived. And this might be the greatest reality under the sun, but there's a greater reality beyond the sun. I think it's this, the reality of time can make us obsessed with performance, or it can help us surrender to eternity. And so we need each other in this. That's why God made us a church. That's why God made us a people. We don't need each other to just motivate our performances in all of the areas of life. We need each other to to point towards what matters in the end. Amen? So we end our first eight verses of this poetry, and we get into these, these later reflections. Look in verse chapter nine. We'll keep going. He says, what gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He's made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he's put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. A couple of really interesting phrases in here. First one, what gain has the worker from his toil? This is the cry of the evangelist of God. These are the words that, that we should keep on our lips as missionaries of the gospel, that we should be shouting from the rooftops, the emptiness of life under the sun. We aren't crying out about the realities of this empty world just so we could be negative about this world, so we could be nihilists. We shout it because it's true and because we found something that is greater to shout after that. What gain has the worker from his toil? This life is meaningless and empty. Now let me tell you what is beyond this life. This is what Jesus liked to do, right? Jesus loved to redirect our focus, to redirect our gaze. And he did this when he was talking about the emptiness of avoiding suffering in life. Look at Mark chapter eight. It says, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, He said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? You're gonna cling to your life and in the end, your life will slip from your hand. And you can instead just place everything into the hands of God and your soul will be secure and you will find true life. Now look at verse 11. See another interesting phrase. It says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Somehow, in some way, God works beauty in all things in the right time. I think we should be honest and say, that's a really nice thing to say and that's a really hard thing to believe, right? <laughs> yeah. We can find ourselves thinking, well, it must be nice to be up in heaven saying, everything down there is just right. But me, I'm stuck down here and I feel like I'm getting tossed around by life. And even in the most perfect days and these supposedly beautiful seasons, I mean, there could be a wave of sorrow that rushes in at any moment. 
And people often say, don't, you know, don't be a Debbie Downer. <laughs> we all have that one friend. If you're friends with me, you definitely have that one friend because I am, I am that one friend. Ask my wife. Someone where it's like you're all at the beach and you're enjoying the day and you're looking out at the ocean and they're like, you know the global shark population is just not going to make it. They got like 20 years max. <laughs> Obviously, nobody needs to be that guy. But there are real things that we carry that in any moment can just come rushing into our minds and it just kind of washes over whatever joy we were experiencing in that moment. You carry these things with you and they're all different and I carry these things. I remember growing up, one of the big things that like pastors and worship leaders would say when a service was starting, <laughs> they'd say, leave everything at the door, you know? All your burdens, all your worries of the week, all the things that are dragging you down, just leave it all at the door. And like, I get that in a sense, right? Like we should, we should be free to just worship God in the midst of every season. But you have a room full of people like us right now, you look at Ecclesiastes and we're all over verses one through eight. We're all in different seasons. It might be in a season of new birth or a season of death in a season of trying to heal a relationship. And so I would just say this, like, I'm not here to tell you to ignore the worries of life so that we can open up the Bible together. <laughs> I'm telling you that the God of the Bible wants you to know that he loves you and he's with you in every season. And so we walk together in this and we come together in this and we open up God's word to find God, amen. Yes. And maybe then we think, well, God should love me by fixing these things. He should love me by showing me why this is happening to me. And all we have to say to that is that's just not what God offers us. And so, since I didn't tell you to leave anything at the door this morning, and Reagan did not either, assuming you brought it, um, I'm gonna give you a chance to close your eyes for just a few moments. And I want you to think of that something in your life right now that when you are having a great day and a great moment, there's some reality of your life or something off in the future that can just rush into your mind and instantly fill you with sadness or worry or anxiety. Maybe it's a financial burden that you're carrying, a relationship, someone who's not doing well, or maybe it's a child that you raised from when they were really young and they're not following Christ. I want you to think about all the things that make you just want to run out of this room and fix them and stress out about them and cry about them and strategize and make plans. I want, to keep, I want you to keep your eyes closed and consider these burdens. I'm gonna take a break from my own words. I'm just gonna read some scripture for us. And we're not in a hurry. <laughs> Ecclesiastes chapter three, for everything there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven. 
a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. First Peter chapter one. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. You can open your eyes. Verse 11 says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. And yet, there are so many things in so many seasons when things are broken, they feel empty. Here's the truth for us. There's a greater beauty that goes beyond the seasonal beauty of life. It is the beautiful opportunity that God's children have to trust him with each new day. Every day is a new day to trust God. Everything has a season. <laughs> Not everything in your life is a struggle right now. You have a lot of chances to glorify God in whatever you face. Some of you have the opportunity right now to <laughs> glorify God through the beautiful trust in him to provide for you financially at a time when money and budgets and jobs are so difficult for so many people. You can glorify God in your contentment with what you have. But that's not everybody's season. I mean, maybe you're like, David, trusting God financially is nothing beautiful for me right now. Like, I owned a plexiglass company in 2020. I could buy this whole city. 
but my family's going through some stuff right now with our health and we just can't seem to solve anything. I just want to be angry about it. And I know I could glorify God in my contentment. So all of us are in many seasons right now. We all face many seasons in the days ahead. And the beauty is not that we hope to manipulate everything in life so that we could get it all perfect at just one time. The beauty is that God's children are free to wake up every day, day after day, all the same, to declare that God is worthy all the same. Amen? That's the gospel. That we are powerlessly submitted to the seasons of life. We're sinful, broken, living in a fallen world, and yet we know that Christ died for our sins to bring us into his family, and God cares for his children. We can trust God as our provider without demanding that God make everything how we think it should be. Let's finish up. Look at verse 12. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. We see this word, this phrase, nothing better. We consider the eternal God of verse 11 and now we see there's nothing better than to be joyful and do good and yet, does that mean that being joyful and doing good will rescue us from this life? No. It's simply the best way that we can live. This is a common grace life under the sun wisdom literature and he says it's God's gift to man I'm not talking about God's gifts to his children like the freedom we have in Christ and the wisdom we have by the spirit to navigate this world as God's children this is just the common grace reality that God allows people to find pleasure in the midst of struggles of life that somehow the joy can reveal the emptiness under the sun and maybe point us beyond. And we end in verses 14 and 15. Look at it. He says, I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. The fear of God here, that speaks of a reverence for God in light of his sovereignty. Nothing can stand against the plans of God. And so we wrap this up all together now and we see we are participants in this life and yet we are powerless ultimately in this life. We're surrendered to the God of every season who is sovereign over all things, but we get to trust God as we walk through every season until eternity, and that's pretty cool, yeah? Some good news for us. God is sovereign over every season, and God's children can trust him in every season. It's very simple. I brought back a slide that I shared a couple weeks ago in Ecclesiastes chapter one. We reached kind of the end of that section. We said this, the end of all days will be an explosion of heavenly wisdom that ripples back through history and reveals that every single moment had meaning all along. 
Whatever season of life you're facing, we could talk about the meaninglessness of time, and yet ultimately eternity reveals that time was full of meaning. Because the kingdom of God is real, and therefore our lives matter, and the seasons of your life matter. Whatever season you're in, it matters. Beyond just you trying to get through it, or you trying to get rid of it, it matters for the kingdom as God sees fit, not as you see fit. And Ecclesiastes takes us through all sorts of thought experiments and all sorts of like depressing negativity. And we could just throw our hands up and say, nothing matters. Go get rich. Who cares? Doesn't matter. You die. Your kids will blow all the money in 10 years, right? Go build a hospital. Who cares? They'll put your name on a plaque. They'll take the plaque down in 20 years. But the reality of the gospel brings significance back to everything. And so I want to share this last story with you. When I was a boy, um, I, didn't really, um, I didn't really know my grandpa, my dad's dad. Um, he just, um, I wasn't born yet. He died before I was born. And I knew my grandma for a few years. And just recently, I, I had to ask my dad what my grandpa's name was because I had forgotten. And in that moment, I was like, oh man, this is like, this is Ecclesiastes playing out right now. Like, we all just get buried in the dirt. It's all pointless. I'm having to ask my dad my grandpa's name. Someday, my grandkids are going to ask my kids what my name was. It's all meaningless. Just buy an Xbox, live in the basement. That was me on Thursday. <laughs> Let me tell you about me on Saturday, though. I remembered one thing about my grandma, and that was that in my house, in the hallway, there was a picture that was hanging, and there was like all these children lined up, tallest to shortest, and I was always taught, there's, that one was grandma, and, um, and it said Osaka, Japan. We had a photo of the children, all the siblings, they lived in a small village um, around there, and, and I always knew grandma was born in Japan, she was a missionary kid. I'm not Japanese, okay, I don't, I'll spoil that, but. <laughs> she was born in Japan, daughter of a missionary, my great-grandfather, and we found this photo more recently of my great-grandpa, and we'll throw it up for you. And it says underneath, since you probably can't read that, it says, Robert Atchison and workers distributing the gospel in Japan. And so I had this moment where I went from like, <laughs> feeling this weight of Ecclesiastes, like nobody's gonna remember me when I die, and then I just for fun last night at like midnight, uh, I googled Robert Atchison, and I'd read some things, but I hadn't read all these stories, and I didn't realize there'd been a lot written about him and the work that he had done, and here's one story that I found. There was a missionary to Japan named Robert Atchison who was saved out of the Chicago slums when he heard the gospel. For 18 years, Robert and his wife traveled through the mountains and valleys of Japan, over 2,500 miles on foot, to spread the gospel in remote places. Once they were rescued from a furious mob about to stone them for preaching Christ in their village. Another time, while there was a plague that swept hundreds to death around them, Atchison wrote that we wrapped ourselves up in Psalm 91 and we continued about the Lord's business. <laughs> I thought this was kind of cool to discover like at midnight, you know? And um, 
I'm sure my parents have told me plenty of stories when I was young. And I was just thinking, like, I don't know that I'm going to leave a multi-generational legacy. I don't know that my kids are going to think about my life all the time. But I'm not going to lie to myself and say that nothing matters in this world. Everything matters in this world. There's a season for everything. There's a season for life. There's a season for death. And I guess if God wanted my great-grandfather to die of the plague while preaching the gospel in the villages of Japan in 1900, then I wouldn't be here today. But since I am here today, and they gave me this microphone, I'm going to say this one more time. The way that you spend your life has more significance than you could ever know. Amen? God has not promised that you will avoid hard days and hard seasons, but he has promised himself in every season, and that is enough to press on ahead. Let's pray. Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. God, you are the one that we trust in every season. And this room is full of people who face many things and brought many things into this place. God, we just, we need you in this. God, we believe that you're a good God, that you bring us into seasons and you walk with us in seasons and you walk through these seasons. You're a good God. You don't leave us alone. So I ask God that you would just speak clearly to us by your spirit how we are to live in these days, how we are to walk in the things that you've brought before us in this time, in this place. God, may we believe that the days matter and the moments matter. The decisions that we make matter. That we would walk as your people, worthy of the gospel that we've received. And may we worship you as you deserve it. In Jesus' name, amen.